uh, said what Farley's Naked Gospel book talked about for... You like that Naked Gospel, huh? <laughs> I did, and I think that those, uh, those few uh, words of Jesus in that passage yeah. uh, expressed in idiomatic English, um, to me, that's the way it hit me, and I read that, and I think, well, that just, you know, short little synopsis hits it right on the head. That's great. That's great. It's Matthew 11, I think, verses 28 through 30 or 31. It's only like two or three. There's a sense to which uh, I'm, I was blown away by the service. The service was right this past Sunday was exactly down where we were, where we've been the last few weeks, especially in the Naked Gospel and others. Good morning. So we're uh, we're in in Philippians chapter one, and uh, Lord willing, we will we will make a stab at getting all the way through. But I at least want to at least try to get through verse twenty six. Is my 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 secondary goal. Uh, one of the things that I just want to mention again because I think that sometimes. God has a, a, a unique sense of humor, um, and he often teaches the ones who teach you more than probably teaches you, <laughs> and sometimes he seems to touch on sore spots, and, and he keeps digging at them. So if, if, if at any time over the, this study uh, you get caught up in thinking that I'm picking on somebody, I'm really not. I'm picking on me. Uh, I've been beat up a lot this week, um, and uh, so if 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 the beatings continue, uh, they will continue until <laughs> until morale in, you know improves. <laughs> so um, as as the uh, as the one shirt used to say that I used to think was a great shirt to to think about. Anyhow, we're, uh, we want to just take a look at Philippians chapter 1, and we want to take a look at it from uh, starting in verse 12, and we'll finish the chapter in reading today. We'll start with a word of prayer, and then we'll look at going to uh, Denny's table, Tom's table, Tom's back, and then uh, Gary's table, Tom, another Tom's table, and, uh, and in our table, and we'll, uh, we'll go round robin until we get through uh, the end of the chapter. Verse, I think, 30 is the end of it. But let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the way that your word encourages us and challenges us. And at times points out so well the areas where we have failed and where we need to improve. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and for his guiding us and for the way that he continues to do so. And even when we kind of squirm and we are uncomfortable because of what you point out to us, we know that ultimately your plan for us is to become uh, molded into the image of Christ. And so we pray that you will help us to be more willing to accept that and uh, to understand that you have only have uh, our best interest at heart. We pray again for your glory and your majesty, for your holiness to uh, continue to expand in th throughout our lives and into the lives of those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting in, in Philippians chapter 1 and starting in verse 12.
hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. So that in my being you may be again rejoicing joy to overflowing out of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about it due to my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. Okay. All right. Shall we? Let's look. We'll go back at uh, back in, in verse twelve. Um, one of the things that that strikes me about this again is remember uh, Paul's desire was think about the background of this. Paul's desire was to go to Rome. He he wanted to go to Rome because he wanted one thing he wanted to do, and that was to to be able to have fruit in Rome. Right. Isn't it interesting that, that his desire was to go to be a preacher, but he ended up going as a prisoner? Sometimes God's plan and our plan, when they intersect, they don't quite match up the way we think they should. It, it, at least that's been true for my life. The, the, the idea here in one of the passages, it talks about the fact that, that it was the furtherance of the gospel that he was going for. And the idea of furtherance is this idea of, a, of uh, in the Greek, of, of a pioneering advancement. Um, I'm reminded of, of uh, the story of uh, Charles Spurgeon. No, most of you know that he was considered the prince of preachers. And he was, uh, uh, he was one of the Baptist preachers that was amazing during the 1800s uh, in, uh, uh, in London. And... Uh, he had this amazing work. He had a, a wife that he married early in life. Her name was Susanna. And uh, she became an invalid early on. 
And, you know, she thought that her ministry was going to not be much of anything as a result of the fact that she was basically housebound all the time. She was sick. But she realized that uh, God had given her a burden, and the burden was that the books that her husband wrote, by the way, he wrote a ton of books, a ton of books. There were a lot of pastors out there that did not have the education and did not have the, the way with words that this man had. And, and as a result, he, they could not afford, their, their lot in life was such that they could not afford the books that he, that he wrote. So she created something called the Book Fund. And her ministry, even though she was housebound, was to see that these books were uh, basically loaned out to pastors at free of charge. And, and she did this all of her life. This was a, an amazing ministry that she had that she would not have had if she had not been in the set of circumstances she was in. God used the set of circumstances she was in in order to do something that had never been done before, and that was to create this book fund. You know, I think God still wants us to advance in, in areas, and he wants us to be pioneers in areas, and sometimes he arranges circumstances so there's absolutely nothing else we can do but become pioneers in particular areas. I, I would have never started uh, Ancient Future Ministries or Refugee Bible if under normal circumstances, I'd have been pastoring in a church still someplace. And uh, I'm amazed that God chose to, to take me out of the ministry in that aspect, in a full-time aspect, and yet put me into a place where I could uh, uh, do some, some, some work that I hadn't planned on ever doing that, quite that way. And uh, which goes to remind me, some of you got letters, there'll be emails coming to you, uh, we're raising funds for Bibles for Cuba. All money that's raised for the Bibles goes directly to the purchase of Bibles. So that's my little um, uh, commercial. Uh, on my website, it, it uh, indicates how to go about donating, and uh, feel free to do that if you'd like to. But sometimes God uses strange ways in our lives to help us do something he had ne that we had never planned on. And to, and to achieve a goal that he has for us that we would have never thought possible. And I'm, I'm, looking at, uh, I'm looking at Paul and I'm looking at others in scripture. Think about Moses. Moses, Moses had this rod that was able to do amazing things through, through God's power, obviously. But he has a, a rod. Gideon uses a pitcher, a piece of pottery, to achieve great things for God. David goes up against Goliath, who's armored like you wouldn't believe. Probably David, the only armor probably in Jewish in the Jewish army the, that would be considered synonymous or similar to the 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 uh, armor that the Philistines had would have been Saul and David and or Saul and, and Jonathan, uh, uh, Saul's son. David goes up against Goliath. He tries the armor and it doesn't fit. What's he end up doing? He goes up against Goliath with a sling. Are you kidding me? Now, in all fairness, I'll tell you this, that the velocity of that stone that left David's sling, the, the, they've tested it in modern day, you know, they've been able to test the, the velocity of that thing. <laughs> Coming out of the slings, when people use slings, it was like, it was like a, a bullet from a, a 45 caliber gun. 
So, you know, when it hit Goliath, I mean, <laughs> it was a major hit. You know, you could imagine. Uh, but, you know, still, he's going up against it with a, with a, with a sling. Paul, what, what, what does Paul have? Well, we know that from this passage, we know that he's in chains. Can you imagine using your chains as a weapon, as a way of furthering the gospel? Something you would think that would keep you from being able to do God's work. What does he end up having? It ends up saying that he ends up becoming uh, able to, to preach the gospel to the Praetorian guards. The Praetorian guards were like Caesar's elite. They were his secret service, if you will. They were his army. They were the special people that were loyal only to Caesar. And they're used in special circumstances. They're guarding Paul. Six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's four guys that you get to spend time with. You would not have gotten time with. When they started to come to know the Lord, there were people that knew the Lord that were guarding Caesar. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Th think about the fact that not only is he, is he doing that, but he's doing things in a way that brings about the fact that he's able to, to run into people that he would not have been able to have run into. He's talking to the leaders of the, uh, of the Roman Empire that are dealing with laws. The question that, that ends up coming before them, which they're not really pr planning on, but this is what happens is the result of, is Christianity... A legal religion and if so is it fall under the banner of Judaism or is it its own separate religion that's part of what's being adjudicated here when Paul's in prison it's not just whether or not what he did was right what he did was lawful but it, the repercussions are huge for this fledgling religious movement Will they be legal or un illegal? And if so, think about this. Is it better to be illegal or to be legal? What's it, wh how, is, how is God's word spread in, in communist China? Did it, illegally, didn't it? Sometimes it's, it's the persecution that brings about Christ, the, the followers of Christ coming to know him. Well, even so, in early Jerusalem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They must have thought Paul was out of very dangerous and very powerful for them to be swirling in the honor because nobody else got that quote unquote honor. Yeah, you wouldn't think that, that you'd just use Praetorian guards for some schmuck, right? You know, some guy, you know, minor person. Sure, and while he also has the right as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal to Caesar. That is true, yeah. but that would not dictate that the Praetorian is doing No, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> you know, and, and we're not sure if, because you know, while it was King Agrippa, it was also, it was, it was the Roman governor that ended up sending him uh, eventually. But, you know, think about this. He, he accomplishes things in his chains that he would not have accomplished if he had not been in chains. And I think that so often what, what, I think what hit me this week was the, the fact that I realized that there have been times that I've been busy complaining to God 
about my circumstances, not realizing or forgetting, perhaps, that God put me in these circumstances. He knows why I'm here. He knows what I'm, what, I, what we're go each of us are going through, right? And so often my problem is that is that my mind is based upon uh, my circumstances rather than understanding that God has given me these circumstances to provide opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel that I wouldn't have had without these circumstances. And my problem is that I often don't rejoice in what God is, uh, you know, I want to rejoice in what God is going to do instead of is what I should be doing. And what I end up doing is I'm complaining about what God is not doing versus what he is doing. I'm looking at it backwards. I'm, I'm looking at it thinking about, well, you know, I could have done this and I could have done that and we should have done this. And, you know, God, there's so many things that I want to accomplish. And God's going, well, maybe maybe you're exactly where I want you to be. Did you ever think about that? The circumstances you find yourselves in, the things that you're facing today, positives and negatives are there for a reason. And God is, is using that to bring about his will for your life and possibly his will for others around you, which is... Speaking of that, in verse 14, this seems kind of uh, odd to me. It says, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Now, you would think that their leader in a Roman prison possibly facing death, would not embolden the followers on the outside. They'd be even more fearful that, well, if they got him, am I next? Uh, yep. <clears throat> what, what do you think about that? What does that say? Now, when, when I, I have a, a note here that I wanted to bring out, and so I appreciate because now we've moved from 12 down to 14. We're moving fast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> really fast. Yes. And we and we often miss that because we are all I think we're thinking about how things how we would like things to be rather than how things are. And we miss our we miss the power in whatever's going on in our life because sure. we're looking at we're trying to think of normal or quote unquote normal circumstances and you know how dare you doing so great and you know, this work with yeah. the Lord. Isn't it interesting sometimes that when we look at people without knowing their circumstances around their lives, you think, man, their life is really amazing. And then when you actually get to know them and know what they're going through, you start, suddenly think to yourself, oh, God, thank you. I don't have to deal with that, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, that's you know, that's kind of an interesting uh, observation, isn't it? Think about the fact that 
you know, God gets gets you where you need it without, and in this particular case, he, he covered all of Paul's expenses. <laughs> <laughs> and well-proven, free yeah. room and board. Free room and board. Well, actually, he's living in a house the end of, at the end of, uh, of Acts. So my guess is he's under house arrest, and my guess is he's probably footing the cost for that somehow or other. Rick, you got a comment? Yeah, just from my life experience, I, I, I've, I've met so many people in my life, A through Z, and their experiences, rich, poor, you name it. And it just seems like nobody's there. Everybody has stuff that happens in their life. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And so if it isn't one thing, it's another. And I'm thinking back to the early disciples, though. The one thing that they had that really strengthened them is that they were so immersed in the Holy Spirit, they could, they, they feared, too. You know, they, they saw the Romans with their yeah. spears and the things that they could do to them, so they, they definitely, you know, at times shook in their boots because your, your human nature doesn't leave you. But they are so immersed in the Holy Spirit, they're able to get through that and be able to complete their mission. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to come back to that in just a second, but I want to make one point on 14, and then we'll move on because that's like 15 through 19. So let me give me let me give you this one thought because look at this word where it says here in 14. Sorry, it's it's you know it's uh, it's the it's the turtles the turtle in me you know it's the slow steady pace. Uh, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak. This is not the word preach. This is the word for everyday conversation. In fact, it goes even beyond that. It's, it's, it's the speaking, it's a legal term that talks about a def the defense presenting an argument. It's, it's not preaching. He, he's not talking, but he's talking about the fact that because of Paul's chains, now maybe it's because they've seen the fact that he's been alive for all this time and he hasn't gotten around. You know, maybe the, the fact that Roman law is much like trying to go to, to, you know, to court today. It takes forever sometimes for your trial to come, come up. I don't know if that's it or not, if the docket was full or what. But the result is that they end up, they end up becoming more bold based upon what Paul is going through. Now we come to, to the sort of circumstances in 15 through 19 where we have this, some are preaching, Paul, uh, preaching Christ sincerely, some are preaching him not so sincerely. You know, and I think that this is uh, an interesting thing. And this is where I ran into a problem I mentioned uh, before we started the, po the podcast um, that we had, I, I was struggling with uh, finding words and, and the way that they were arranged. I think the King James flips verses 16 and 17 from what the NIV has uh, is, what I, is what I came to the conclusion of. And because it starts off with talking about the contention in a verse 16 and then the people that are not contentious in verse 17 versus what appears in at least in the NIV, it, it, my version of the NIV at least, uh, is uh, that that's switched. And um, it talks, and so, but I, I come up with this idea of the idea of contention, stirring up trouble, I think is the, is the term in the, in the NIV. It has to do with um, this idea of stirring up trouble. It, it has to do with um, contention. It, it's the idea of canvassing for an office. It, it's the idea of trying to get people to support you. It, it's almost a political uh, thing you're doing there. What you're doing is you're out campaigning. 
to, for people to come on you to be on your side of, of whatever the issue is. Uh, th think about the fact that God, Paul is asking for unity in this in this church. He's celebrating. By the time we get to, to the end of one and the beginning of, of two, especially, he talks about the, there were one, or one in the spirit, one in love, one in this one, and and yet there is contention in the church. There is struggle in the church, and and so often, um, <clears throat> you know, Paul. Paul's aim was to what? To glorify God? And instead, some of these people, their aim was to glorify themselves. Yep, yep. They were doing it for the for for all the wrong motives. We're going to cause problems for Paul. And instead of here's the thing that, that interests me about the critics, it would appear that instead of asking people like, "Have you ever come to had a relationship with God? Do you know who Christ is? Have you invited Him to be a part of your life?" Instead of asking, "Have you trusted God?" They're asking you, "Whose side are you on? Are you on Paul's side or my side?" And, you know, because it's more important that, that we have religious politics because that, you know, that never, it only happened in the first century. You know, it doesn't happen today in the church, right? There's never been a church where, you know, one of the things that I will tell you is that, that often the, it's harder to see the politics the less involved you are in your church. The more involved you get in your church the more often it is that you see the politics that are happening within it. And it's people vying for their thought, their idea, and they're going to parade it and say ours is the most important. And sometimes it's up to the leadership to have a, a high elevation view of what's going on so they can decide what is the most important aspect. Sometimes it's ministries warring against ministries, you know? Uh, the youth department is upset because they didn't get the kind of funds that the kids department got. Or they're upset because the kids department is upset mm -hmm. because, you know, you're spending more on the arts. Um, all those things can come into play. Uh, when it's the arts, it's, is it the technical part? You know, we need more toys, more, better microphones, new cameras, or new just, lighting. Uh, time. On the stage or the screen. Time on the stage becomes really important. You know, who gets, if, you know, if, if they would just announce my ministry, my ministry is really important. It used to be, uh, I used to run into that when I was heading up a particular ministry in the church, that I wanted my ministry to have a certain amount of, of uh, you know, airtime, if you will. And uh, then when I, it got to be the point where I was the guy that was, in charge of figuring out what ministry got promoted from the stage, oh my word, you know, you'd get buttonholed on your way up to the, on the way up to the platform. You know, they'd have to, oh, you, and, and you'd get four or five notes, something you need to tell before you got on, before you actually got on the stage. 
And it's like, no, nah, I don't think so. You know, we're, we're, we haven't had a chance to think about this and to talk about whatever is important. And is it important? And how much time do we spend on stage with it? You know, that there's a reason why they used to produce bulletins or slides. If you got there a little early, you'd look at the slides and you'd know what the what was going on, or you'd look at your bulletin and read that. Yeah. I, I just think, like I've been involved with different ministries. Uh huh. Sometimes what happens is the person that has the vision for leadership sometimes doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to interact with other people as the process is continuing. Sure. And then it yeah. goes off to other people. There's a, there, there's a sense to which sometimes we uh, we rein in the Holy Spirit, don't we? But we're going to get a chance. To, yeah, we're going to get a chance as we if we get a little further into this chapter. I want to touch on exactly that. You're 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 doing well there, Rick, with with your thoughts. I, I, I had a I just to throw a yeah. quick, quick thing. Sure. Uh, that when we went through this this past recession, just as it was in the earliest processes, somehow I got invited onto this. Uh, coalition to make a difference in what was about to happen. I mean, there was some vision there that they that they saw that, that we were going to really be going through. And, and being them on the housing side, they had a lot to do with the housing side where people would be losing their homes and stuff like that. And they, they came up with this like really great model on how to be able to help people. And mm -hmm. it would have been good for the bank, it would have been good for the people. I mean, better than what it was, right? Sure. So, the reason why we even got a chance to talk to one of the biggest banks in the nation, okay, Bank of America, who took over one of the major, the biggest like lender in, in the country, um, they ended up taking this church, ended up taking the working capital. We, we, we won. We actually got the grant to do what we we're going to do, and mm -hmm. they were going to give us like 60 houses to, to start with, mm -hmm. and instead they take the working capital and disappear. Oh, and so I felt so bad because I thought because I was just a little person in this whole thing yeah. maybe I just was just left out and I didn't find out until many months later what really happened hmm. and, I, and I go wow you know the Holy Spirit really had a chance to come in and make a difference you know with these people and uh, that and didn't happen got a chance to get up to bat you ever notice that, that within, ministry, within the Christian world that there's a lot of tension between leadership. When I was growing up in my particular brand of of evangelicalism, uh, there were a lot of in, a lot of chiefs and not a lot of Indians, and the chiefs were always warring with each other over you know who was who was the most important, and you know whether or not my theology was which was just a shade different, and sometimes the argument was over words of definitions of words. The, the words you use to define what does it mean to be inspired? What does it mean when the Bible is inspired? How does that play out? There was a fight over two large groups over the concept of verbal plenary inspiration. And the term was the fact it was verbal and, the, and plenary was, the, was the, the part that that was choking some people. And the result was that they, they went to war with each other. And you'd have thought that, that the, the two sides thought that each of them was gonna, not going to be in heaven when they got there. <laughs> you know, that they were the only ones that were doing it right. And it reminded me of a story. Uh, there were two great 
evangelistic movements, part of the, that early movement of, of the church in America and in, in Europe uh, was, was two guys, uh, you know, John Wesley, remember the Wesleys? You know, they started Methodism. Now, they didn't, they didn't plan to do that. They, they wanted to be in the Church of England, um, but things transpired and they ended up having a, their own uh, church that developed out of that, much like Luther had with his situation with the Roman Church uh, a couple hundred years earlier. But uh, in addition to Wesley, there was another guy by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an amazing orator, and, and he, he moved thousands and thousands of people without a microphone. This guy had a voice that was unbelievable. And uh, he and John were both in America and both in England did amazing work. And, and one day, uh, they were incredibly successful, uh, thousands of people coming to Christ in both camps. And it was reported that somebody asked Wesley this question, did he expect to find Whitfield in heaven when he got there? Because they were opposed to each other on some doctrinal issues. And uh, he says, uh, do you think you'll see him in heaven? And the evangelist says, no, I don't think so. And he says, uh, the, 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 the man that was asking him the question said, then you, you don't think that, uh, that George Whitfield is, is a, a converted, is, a, is a, a converted man, a saved person? He says, of course he's converted, Wesley said. But I don't expect to see him in heaven because he will be so much closer to the throne of God than I will be, and I will be so much further away from it that we'll never hit, we'll never see each other. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? I, I'm reminded of one ministry I was at. Um, a gentleman from another church uh, who had a similar position that I did uh, was let go from that church and just kind of weird set of circumstances. And he and his family were hurting. And um, I purposely invited him out to lunch and we talked and I said, I just wanna let you know that we would love to have you come to our church. And uh, I told that to some of the folks in the, in the ministry and they're going, why in the world would you do that? Because he's, he's kind of your competition. I said, no, he's not. He's not my competition. He's a brother in Christ, and he's hurting. And, you know, it's up to God to deal with the circumstances as to whether or not he, you know, if, if it were to happen that the church would decide that they wanted him instead of me, well, that's, that's their situation, and that must be God's plan. I said, I'm not going to run from this. You know, this man is hurting, his family's hurting, and they need a place to, to heal, and I'm inviting them to come to church. And uh, they did, and uh, and he didn't take my position. So it's strange <laughs> how it worked out. So um, anyhow, all right. So let's keep going. They want to stir up trouble. They want to, you know, in verse uh, uh, we got here, verse uh, uh, seventeen. And even while I'm in chains, but it, the, this is what's important. It's important in every way that whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Really? I rejoice because I'm in chains. I've had to put up with these chains for two years. I haven't been able to get out and go to all the churches I wanted to go to. All I've been stuck doing is writing these dumb letters. 
to people. Because of all the nonsense that's been going on in these churches, and I had to write letters. I couldn't go and take care of it, so I had to write a letter instead. And I'm sure that's not going to amount to anything. <laughs> Did it? Yeah. We've got a series of letters that he wrote while he was in prison that become part of the Bible. It wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been in chains. Think about that. What sort of circumstances are you involved in right now that, that God's going to use to do something great for his ministry, to advance his cause, to advance his kingdom, that isn't going to happen if you, were, if you weren't in the situation you were in right now? Well, of course not. It's often said that, you know, you, when just talking about God in general, you never know when you're in chains. Yeah. You, you may be going through it for a certain group or working toward uh, helping a certain individual, and you're going to convert the people around you. Yeah. You never, and sometimes you'll never know. Yeah. Sometimes the circumstances we're in are not for us, they're for others. And sometimes it might not even be the, it, it, you know, think about it in stages. It might not be the first stage, it might be the second or third stage that, that, the, 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 that happens. It might not be the person that you're dealing with, it might be the person that they're dealing with, that, it, that God needs to move in their heart and their lives. And the only way that can happen is by, the, by person A, but you'd never get to person B. But if you reach person A, if you're able to help person A, they can reach out and help person B in a way that you never could. Because of life circumstances. You know, I, I don't know what some of you are going through. And, and if I, even if I did, I wouldn't know what it was like because I've not gone through it. Yeah, Rick. So when I was in Rome in November, I went to the St. Paul's Church outside of Mm -hmm. to see the chain. And the one thing I didn't know was that chain was attached to the Roman soldier attached to the guardian. That's mm -hmm. how serious of mm -hmm. a prisoner he was. Yep. And when he was in chain, he was chained 24-7 to Roman soldiers, and, they, and every six hours they changed shifts. So every day, I don't know how many, if, if he got stuck with the same guys every day or if it was a rotating schedule, but think about this. He's got people there with him and then he's having pe Christians are coming to talk to him. Uh, people are discussing things with him. He's writing letters. He's probably doing what a lot of us do when we write a letter. We're thinking about it, and we're probably talking out loud, or maybe we're reading it back, and we're thinking, yeah, did that sound right? Maybe I need to cross out and put this in. And it, the influence he's having on these people. How many letters was this day? Yeah. Yeah, he had, he had a, a, what do they call um yeah, there's a, another term, but scribe is a good one. Um, anamnesis, I think. Is that the word I want? I'm going to scribe. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll leave, we'll leave with scribe. All right, so uh, let, let, <laughs> let's go on. In, in, it says, uh, yes, I will continue to rejoice. And then when it gets to 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus or Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn in, out for my deliverance. Well, first of all, this help that's given is, um, 
is the idea of um, lavishly giving somebody something. And so the help that's been given has been lavishly given to Jesus Christ. In fact, it, it comes from the, the Greek word that actually, if you actually translate the word versus what it means, the word would be the word that we would get our word chorus from. Uh, or f uh, it's the idea that at certain times in, uh, there were festivals in, in Greece and in Rome and and when they'd have these festivals, there were always choruses and dancing, and and uh, and it was always done in a, on a large scale, lavishly done. And so the word, while the word meant one thing, it came to mean lavishly giving. Because in order to put on that festival, you had to have a lot of money to put it on. It cost a lot. It was lavish. It was extravagant. And so the per the picture here is the fact that the Holy Spirit is giving to Paul lavishly. You're thinking, seriously, you can't unlock this chain? That'd be a, that, to me, would be lavish. You know, Why don't you just get me out of prison? After all, you did it for Peter. Why can't you do it for me? Well, there was a whole different reason why the Lord did it for Peter and didn't do it for Paul, right? And then he goes on to talk about this. He says uh, that he's trying to decide, you know, is it better for me to, uh, to, to uh, let's see, it says, uh, it's sufficient. Okay, so he says, I eagerly expect and hope, that, but speaking of his deliverance, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will with sufficient courage, so as now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This idea of death and dying is a, a word that in, perhaps in uh, anybody got the King James? I think it might say, does it say de departing? No, it says death? No. Okay. So the Greek there is the idea of departing. It's not just simply dying. It's the idea of departing. And the, and the, and the, the interesting thing is, again, the way words are used is important as to how they play out in our understanding. And in this Greek word here, it's kind of interesting because it has several connotations depending upon who it's being related to. If it's a soldier, this idea means taking down your tent and moving on. You've been told to move on. Pack your tent, pack your stuff, and go to the next place. If you're a sailor, if you're in the Navy, it has the idea of loosening the ship that's been tied to the dock and setting sail and moving on. Interesting pictures they were getting. If it was a politician, it's the idea of setting the prisoner free. Think about that. We're going to set the prisoner. Paul, if Paul dies, the picture is that he's been set free. He's been told to move on to another place. He's been told to set sail and go someplace else. If it's a farmer, the idea of departing here is not just that, it means to unyoke your oxen. In other words, your work is done. It's time to relax. It's time to rest. All of those pictures, every one of those, is what Paul is referring to when he's talking about the fact that when death comes, this is what is in store for him. A chance to move on, a chance to set sail, a chance to be set free, a chance to be relieved of the pressures and the burdens and the toil 
of working for Christ on this side of eternity and to enter into a certain kind of different kind of toil and rest in eternity with Christ. Yeah. But he's been dragged. Oh. A lot of times he's been shipwrecked. He's been set upon by various groups and individuals uh, through his uh, ministry. So, you know, he, he met, he's been paying the price all along. Oh. There was no yeah. picnic being put up in this house and having guards all the time. He might have been looking forward to that. He, so, very well could have. In fact, that's the whole thing here he's talking about. I'm prepared whether it's live or die. I'm prepared. Think about this. For, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hmm. Let's, let's try filling in some other blanks. What do you think? For me to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. Oh, man. For, for me to live is fame. And to die is to, oh, crap, to be forgotten. Uh, for me to live is power. And to die is to lose it all. What does Paul say? For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's, boy, it sounds really good until you start replacing it with some of the things that you and I'd rather have. You know, I, I want power. I want money. I want fame. I, I, I want notoriety. You know, I, I want it. I don't know that I'd so much want for me to live as Christ. And to die is even better. Because I get to go home and be with Christ in a different way than he's with me now. Huh. Well, that just kind of takes a whole lot of starch out of you, doesn't it? <laughs> and he says, he goes on to say, if I, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what should I choose? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart. That's that departing. That's that folding up your tent. That's that going away. That's that setting sail. That's that... Um, you know, uh, being released from, uh, from prison. That's uh, the oxen saying, you know, your work is done. You can go and out, rest in the field, grab a, ch a chomp of a, a, some, some grass, get some water, re relax, take a breather. This is that depart is and be with Christ, which is better by far. That's what I'd really like to do, but it is more necessary. Maybe it's better that I stay here and remain in the body. B because if I do this, if I remain, I will continue to be with you all, and I can help with your progress. I can help with your faith, so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Now, does that mean, does that mean Paul's bragging about the fact that, you know, if I'm free, things are good? You guys are going to rejoice because I'm free. Is that what he's saying? What's he saying? I know it's 
It's getting close to work though time for you guys. <laughs> What's he saying? He can help them. Yeah. If he's with them. If he's with them, he can help them. And with that comes great joy in seeing them what? Mature. Yeah, to stick around is worse than going home. It's like, you know, have you, ever, have you ever noticed that people that you truly love, you're willing to go the extra mile for? Some, those of us who've been parents, we've, you know, sometimes we've done a kicking and screaming, but there've been times when we've helped our kids out financially. It'd have been easier to cut them loose sometimes but we or or we or we go walk through the the trial you know when they're when they go on trial for something they've been caught and they they have to go before a judge or they or they get sent to to prison or or, or they, they lose a job or, or or someone you love you know goes through a divorce <clears throat> loses a spouse for whatever some reason or other and and we step up to them and with them and walk with them through that because we care for them. Sometimes makes you wonder, especially with guys, how good are we at doing that? Coming alongside. Yeah. Yeah, the, this whole idea of helping to prune and helping to mature and helping to w feed water. You know, we talk about uh, uh, we talk about f seeing people come to Christ as uh, as though you're a farmer. You know, you plant, you water, you fertilize, but ultimately God brings the increase. And it's that way in, in, in the lives of others as they mature. You're spending time and the result of that is there's certainly there's fruit for you as a result of the fruit that you know the work you've done in others lives and sometimes you know we've talked about this the guy that won dl moody of the lord yeah think that maybe he's going to have some kind of an interesting relationship when he gets to heaven when, when they start counting up the number of people he because of his faithfulness, and i know that god could have used somebody else but there's this guy who's a Sunday school teacher who brings, who helps this young man come to know Christ, who's a shoe salesman, who makes a decision that says, you know what, there's not been a time since maybe the beginning of, of the church that someone's been so sold out to Christ that they'll do anything and everything to see people come to know Christ. And as a result of that, he shakes two continents for Christ. And through that, we see a direct line of descent and uh, of of each generation, someone who's been one to the Lord as a result of, of this man's faithfulness, who no one remembers his name, 
but we all know D.L. Moody, and we all know that if you look at the line, guess who about three or about four generations later, four or five down the road, guess who else comes to know Christ and, and shakes the world for Christ in the, in the 20th century? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Direct correlation between the guy that won the guy that won D.L. Moody to the Lord, won, D.L. Moody won someone to the Lord, who won someone to the Lord, who won someone to the Lord, who won Billy Graham to the Lord, and Billy Graham won millions of people to Christ. All because one guy was faithful at the beginning. One guy dropped a pebble in a pond, and the ripple effect was huge. We don't know that this side of eternity. We, we talk about fruitful. You know, this guy, I man. Don't you think, wouldn't it be awesome to be that guy? Probably. There is, a, there is a list, and I've got it someplace in one of my notes uh, filed away that, uh, as to who this guy is and all of the various people. And I actually recognize some of one of them, uh, Billy Sunday, I think was one. It ties into, it ties into uh, Reverse Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Discipleship. Discipleship. What does it take for us to become disciples? And what does it take to, to launch people out into doing the work? All right, yes. Well, now that the world is so close, yeah. you could be at work maybe interacting with somebody from another country. Oh, yeah. And after a while, they go, you know, you seem to be different. You know, what, what's up with you? You know, and sure. maybe you, you, you tell about your testimony, you know? Yeah. And then that person starts to think and goes out and starts searching and becomes an on-fire Christian, and then the flame starts all over again in another part of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's one of us. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I think I've shared with you that, you know, it was, uh, it was probably six months ago, maybe a year ago, uh, I get a, a voice uh, call from, from Giuseppe. He's in Sardinia, and he's at a little church church. Uh, Denny, you were there. We were at at, Quart- at Quartu, and uh, so they're all sitting around. And Giuseppe decides to call me, and and so we're talking, and I'm talking to uh, Daniela, and I'm talking to her husband, and um, um, and then her husband is kind of the leader of the church, the elder of the church. Says, uh, and he says to me, he says, "Would you be willing to share? Open the word for us." I'm going. <laughs> Seriously, I just had I just had dinner, and I'm sitting in my office, and the phone call comes through, and I'm talking to him, and I'm going, oh, okay, and so I'm thinking, I'm preaching to the other side of the world via you know FaceTime, and uh, and we had a great time of fellowship, but boy, I sure hadn't planned on it. But uh, the, the result is, yeah, that can happen all all. With the drop of a hat today, what we do and how, where we go, the yeah. Can I tell you a FaceTime miracle? Sure. So we had this host on Lumen, I mean this guest on the Lumen Christie show. So um, how I found out about him, I actually got to invite him to come on the show, which I don't get to do that often. Um, one of my friends I work out with all the time over at the Lifetime Gym. This is like his cousin, and he was telling me the story. So his cousin. Um, had been suffering with cancer for like five years. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like towards the end. Mm-hmm. And um, and so his immune system is like really low and he has just a common cold and it's going to kill him, you know, a common cold. So he goes to the hospital and, and um, uh, the 
family's at home and he's, you know, he's in his hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like kind of like on edge a little bit because he thinks if he goes to sleep, he's not going to wake up again. So they're on FaceTime, his wife and him. And she goes like, what's like that, like, like behind you? And she goes, you know, it looks kind of like an angel. And, and sure enough, he, uh, he uh, says, yeah, it, it looks like not one, but two angels, you know? So she thought maybe she was seeing things, right? So she goes and calls her son, and the son comes in the room, and she says, do you see anything unusual in this picture? And she goes, he goes, Dad, you got an angel behind you, mm-hmm. okay? So the angels lift them up and take them to heaven. Oh, wow. And uh, in heaven, he meets Jesus, and the description was just, like, extraordinary, okay? So the Lord gives him a mission. He has to come back home, so he, he gets to come back into his body and then, you know, tell the world what happened. Mm. But it, it was seen on FaceTime. Wow. The angels. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. All right, so as we close out today, remember, for me to live is you fill in the blank, and to die is you fill in the blank. My prayer for each of us today is, God, help me to live for Christ, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Father, we ask that you'd continue to walk through with us this day. Meet us where we are. Help us with our circumstances to realize that you have us exactly where you want, exactly how you're going to use us. You know how it's going to happen. You know what our purpose is, and so often we're fighting your purpose. So we pray you'd help us to realize that your way, your will, much better than ours, and help us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you this day. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.